And we are live back with another episode of Shifting Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism stage herself, Mama Baden. Hi, Torian. Um, okay, the sun's shining, so everybody knows that's a good day for well, me. You you know we have a guest today because I didn't say how are you. I know, I know. I'm excited about our guest. It's a person who has been with us before. Um, Remy, would you like to reintroduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Remy. Um, I am a nurse in an emergency room. I am just about at my eight-year anniversary mark of um, being a nurse in an emergency room. Oh, really? That's real awesome. Weird eight years. Yeah, yeah. Um, been an interesting eight years. Um, I am also a master's of public administration, um, and I am also a self-diagnosed autistic individual. Great. They're so like some of our guests are so good at introducing themselves. I'm terrible at. It. Like I like I, I've talked about this before. Like I'll be like, well, um, I I do a podcast and um, <laughs> I write sometimes. Uh, that's uh, so you got. I'm I'm always marvel great introductions. So we had you on before, and we had yes. you on with Lewis to sort of talk about uh, Autism Awareness Month and some of the issues surrounding autistic people. Oh, and, and actually, a follow up to that, I mm -hmm. just did the last book drop of the books that Luce and I were talking to you about oh, um so we uh part of our what we did so for our listeners who didn't hear that last episode we got funding through random acts to buy a bunch of books that were about autism written by autistic authors and we dropped them in a bunch of little free libraries um in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Luce did a bunch in the UK uh, so I finally got the last books that I wanted in. Uh, they were pre-order when we started this event, so I had to wait mm -hmm. for them. Um, so got the last books in and dropped them off in Seagirt and Matawan, New Jersey yesterday. Oh, so books exciting. are out there in the world. Yay, that's exciting. I just noticed something completely random. My my ring light's been off. Just We have such natural sunlight today, which we never have. <laughs> That I didn't even notice it was off just now. That is great. That is really great. And I am not editing that out. That is really, <laughs> that's really great, Remy. And you you and Lewis did some really awesome stuff. But what we talked about a little bit in the last episode is things about gender and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I want to do a whole episode on that because that's something that does affect the autistic community. A lot of parents might be a little put off for lack of a better word any parent we put off about stuff like that but i believe i've seen multiple polls that say around 70 percent of autistic people identify as part of the lgbtq community and that's a significant number and i believe 30 percent of that 70 percent identifies as trans so this isn't like a super niche issue that I'm just mm -hmm. trying to do for woke points. I just want to put that out there. This is affecting people. Mm -hmm. And Stacy mentioned she actually works with a couple of parents who might benefit from this. So we wanted to bring you back on. I feel like it's a perfect time with everything going on in the world, mainly the, okay, there, there's no political, I'm trying to think of a politically neutral way to say this, but like there's no politically neutral way nope. of, describing an attack on an entire group of people with the yes. clear intention of erasing them yes. from existence. Yeah. There's just, that, that's the most neutral way I can put it, if I'm being honest. Like, that's, that's just the facts. Like, I'm just stating the facts. So, 
So with all that going on, we want to have you back on. And I don't know, Stacy, if you want to start, I have some questions. Do you want to start first or you, I don't want to step on your toes? No, no, no. I, I actually, I have some questions, but I would love, um, Remy, if you could maybe give our listeners sort of, um, I love the numbers, Torin, but maybe like some concrete examples, because a lot of times when we say it's impacting a group of people, people live in a bubble and they don't really know what that means, right? It's It almost reminds me of, the fact that they're releasing that movie till and how the mom made a choice to show his face because people need to see like, this is what's happening, right? Because if you don't really see it, then you don't really sometimes believe it. And I think that people aren't aware of what's happening. And sometimes it's not always what we see on the news, right? Like it's things in the workplace, things in and, and the street and things in the store, just, you know, like the folks who are AAC device users for communication, you know, the things that occur that people don't have to think about. So Remy, if you could maybe share just a little insight to help our listeners um, just get a grasp um, on, on why we're talking about this and why it's an important issue. Sure. So um, I guess I want to start by semi reintroducing myself. Um, so Hi, my name is Remy. Um, I go by they, them pronouns. Um, and I just want to introduce my own alphabet soup of um, identity. Um, so I am someone that uses the word queer as a self-identifier, like I'm queer, um, just because it's easier than to tell someone that I am an asexual, panromantic, non-binary, genderqueer person. Like, mm-hmm people look at you like, what? and, you know, I'm not going to stand here and <laughs> to everyone just explain every facet of my identity. But so like, I'm queer. Um, but more specifically, um, I am asexual. I just don't want to have sex with you. I just don't. Um, and I'm heartbroken. <laughs> and it makes it very hard to then follow up with I'm pan romantic, as in, I am very happy to date people of any gender um someone who doesn't necessarily want to have sex uh does not mean that they don't want to go out on cute coffee dates and get roses and flowers and get married and have a life partner and whatever they just don't necessarily want or care to have sex in that equation so that that's uh where i'm at with my sexual and romantic spectrum um i am also non-binary i um i don't fit into the girl box i don't fit into the boy box um i just am and i think with the autistic community um i think this is where you see a lot of autistic individuals who identify in that non-binary or agender space um, because I think sometimes autistic people can struggle with some of the rules and labels of society in the sense of like well but why um, you know why why does society have some weird arbitrary rules about like eye contact or how you're supposed to small talk or whatever thing it is I think there's a lot of strange arbitrary societal rules that um sometimes autistic people don't either don't grasp or don't care to grasp and i think um gender roles often is one of them Mm -hmm. like you know okay don't put me in a girl box don't put me in a boy box i'm a person you know Mm -hmm. i i think a lot of uh i think 
for a lot of autistic people, there's, there's a lot of um, comfort in the idea of like not having to be in either of those boxes mm -hmm. um, or being able to like be, do whatever you want and uh, not having it be assigned to, oh, well, that's because you're a boy or that's because you're a girl. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's where a lot of that gender and autism overlap comes from. Um, but as far as uh, the societal situation, um, so we we live in a world where um, gender and sexuality used to be much more diverse, you know, 300, 400, 500 years ago, um, especially in non-European cultures. And we live in a world that um, became very dominated by Western Victorian ideas. Mm -hmm. And with that came certain rules about gender and um, gender identity and gender roles and sexual orientation. Um, calling someone gay in the way that we do today, um, like wasn't even a thing in the 1700s. So the fact that the, for example, the Marquis de Lafayette was probably very gay. Um, he didn't have that word to use. Fre um, Frederick, he, Frederick the Great was almost certainly homosexual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. Shakespeare wrote an entire sonnet about this dude that he had a crush on, and literally one of the lines directly translates to "You have a penis, but I'm supposed to be into <laughs> vagina." Like that yeah. is that is the blunt translation of the line. Al it's Alexander fantastic. the Great was gay, and not like the normal Greek way where they were into both. Like his contemporaries were afraid he was gay because. We're, we're talking about how he only is in the dude because yep. he was a king and he didn't want to make heirs because mm -hmm. he wasn't in the chicks. Mm -hmm. So his contemporaries thought he was gay. So he was definitely gay. Right. So, you know, Alexander the Great, you know, think about the years that that was. And then think about, you know, what if there was a great general in 1850 who everyone thought was gay? Nobody would say it. In, in 1850, in 1950, mm -hmm. today, if there was a top general who everyone was like, he's super gay, frankly, he wouldn't be a top general. Exactly. Because the society in which we live has become, and, and this, this is something that is very difficult to get people to understand, because people will be like, oh, well, the world is getting much more open now and things are getting better for gay people. Like, yeah, but they were super bad before yeah they're coming from like a really ways. really low point yeah. right um you know and especially especially in you know again in non-western cultures um homosexuality was normalized um different genders were normalized there's an amazing book called uh queer magic um i can find the author and send you the the author's name later but it, it talks about uh different cultures around the world and how either gay or trans characters or people played into different cultures, religions and mythologies and mm -hmm. cultural practices. And very often um, trans women or um, people who were assigned male at birth and didn't fit into their male stereotypes were very often considered the holy people. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we look now at trans women having the highest murder rate in America of any demographic. These are the people who were one 
often thought of as holy mm-hmm. and now they're the the lowest social totem pole in our society and that's that's scary i mean it's scary that that's the evolution that we've come from and it's also scary that um you know we talk about the the gay rights movement and oh well things got better for gay people first and now we're working on the trans people okay but the gay rights movement from a civil rights perspective was started by trans people you yes know, the, the first most people don't know bricks that, thrown yes. at stonewall yeah. And and most people don't know that. And that's mm-hmm. scary to me. I mean, it's scary to me that we talk about, you know, oh, well, yeah, it became more socially acceptable for men to live together or women to live together. But now we've got to work on this whole new, new trans thing. It's not a whole new trans thing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the trans people have always been here and trans people have always been at the forefront of this movement. Everyone else just keeps leaving them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, exactly. So I, I think you know the historical context of this is really, really important. And um, I, I remember my mom's daughter, my mom's friend's daughter, was like looking for a cool person to do like a school project on about you know a, a person who changed history. And and I'm I'm over here like she should do Marsha P. Johnson. <laughs> and my, you know uh, clearly I'm no help. And my mom's like. Who's that? I'm like, all right, Google her. Cause I mm-hmm. can't, I can't do this. Um, but you know, my mom was alive when that all occurred. I, I wasn't, and I know who she is, but my mom lived through it and she doesn't know this name. And that's, and that's no slight on my mom. My mom is not something who, my mom is not someone who is unaware of LGBT issues, but she still doesn't know these names mm-hmm. and that's everyone's fault, not her fault. And I, I think part of it is uh, I'll be the, the old person at the table, you know, even in, in regards to, I love the fact that you were able to get those books out there because when I started this journey 22 years ago, there was no internet. There was no, I mean, I think we just had AOL dollop. There was no amazon.com. So even finding little information um, that we didn't know about. We just didn't even have access to it or know even that you could go look for it or it was somewhere, right? It was one of those things where I feel like now, I mean, you know, I, I'm from the time before we had cell phones and internet. And so I remember just, I love to learn. And so me, access to the World Wide web was access to information I did not have access to because I went to my local library, my school, right? We didn't travel back in the day like people travel now. People travel all the time. That was not something that was done because no one could afford an airline uh, flying ticket. But I think that now that we have access, um, why don't people know, which in, in terms of just in relation to autism, right? Like, like when I go and talk to a therapist and I'm like, why don't you know? I mean, my goodness, it's right here. Like it's here. Like, I don't know, pick a platform, YouTube, Instagram, learn for free. Like it's right here. There's no excuses, right. For not knowing. Um, and so I think that like everything else in terms of getting people to shift, it's, we've got to continue to keep educating, which is partly what we're doing here is to bring those things up because those are names that people are not familiar with. Um, and, and the, the younger generation, I tell my sons all the time, uh, mommy didn't have that, right? Like you're saying this because you had access and why didn't I do? I'm like, I didn't have access to that when, when you guys were babies, right? We didn't have that technology. 
Um, but I do have a question in regards to our parent, our listeners who are parents, um, because I do have several parents and um, they're young children, but also I have a couple of um, new clients that are teens and sort of working with parents, working with teen, right? Balancing um, because of new diagnosis and the teens identify as LGBT, right? They're trying to figure it out, but their parents are trying to figure out autism. And now there's another thing to figure out. And then there's the cultural pressure and there's all these things. And so those are the challenges that um, if I think of challenges that I face in terms of helping parents navigate, not just my child is autistic and I'm just finding out, but I also have a few parents um, that have young children that have very, very clearly, interestingly enough, they have limited verbal communication, but they have clearly identified which gender they identify as. Um, and they are very adamant about it at a very young age. And so I'm, I'm having to help and guide and for whatever reason, these particular parents are from very, very strong religious cultural backgrounds. So it's like a huge shift of mom wanting to accept. And mom is like, I'm good with this. It's my baby. And I will go with whatever they need. And, and um, they can wear whatever makes them comfortable. But then fighting the battle of everyone else coming at the mom who's trying to protect this child. And so, and along the way, we're trying to figure out autism supports. Right. So, so these are the challenges um, that I've personally seen. And so any insight you have for listeners who I'm sure that there are folks that are chiming in um, specifically to find out, you know, people won't ask questions directly. So they listen to get answers um, because of several reasons. Um, uh, just depending on the person. So I'm going to stop talking <laughs> and listen. So I think some of my advice here might come off as sounding a little harsh, but you know, if you're saying that a parent is being super supportive of their child and their child wanting to express their gender in a certain way, but the parent's support group isn't supportive, um, the parent needs new friends. And, and I, and I, I hate to be like, just walk away from that community. Oh no, Stacy says that yes. all the time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, and, and for for these particular yeah, parents, I mean, it's, and, that's a really hard yeah. thing to say. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm sorry, Remy. I didn't mean to interrupt. And I'm totally on board. Um, these are parents who are in cultural religious dynamics where the women are already not in a position to make choices and be independent, and so they're struggling with that. It's not friends per se, it's like direct family. So they're working through how do I, you know, do this um, and be the mom that I want to be. And, and so that's just, I mean, unfortunately, I'm going to give you much the same yeah, answer. I, agree. I know that it sucks, but it's like, you know, <laughs> yes. Oh, well, you know, this is my trans child and I'm super supportive, mm -hmm. but my dad has a problem with it. I'm sorry, but you don't, mm -hmm. your dad doesn't get to see the kid anymore. Like, mm -hmm that sucks i get that that mm -hmm. sucks and and it's so hard when you have to be like well just walk away from your family because that's like a horrible thing to say but you know if, 
the alternative, mm-hmm. the reality of the trans experience in this country right now is that it is very likely that your trans child, if not given the support and love that they need, is going to want to die. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to die. They're going to hate themselves. And frankly, there's a much higher than we want to talk about chance that they're going to make themselves die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sorry if that means that we're going to have to sever ties with grandma, but bottom line, otherwise your child is going to be in a situation where they literally don't want their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about one thing I talk about at the hospital a lot is um, the much higher rates of mental health disorders in trans people. It's not because trans people are necessarily mentally ill. Mm -hmm. It's because our society is designed to break trans people. Yes. Um, It's actually. Good good luck getting that through the head of your average conservative. Good luck getting that stat through the head of your average conservative. If I hear hear it's a mental illness one more time and then combine with the stats of depression and suicide, I will. I watch way too much right wing media because I want to get a balanced perspective. And now I think I have permanent brain damage because all I can hear is all the counter arguments and it's all bullshit. And I apologize for getting heated, but it's true. It's all bullshit. It's like but a it's marginalized group has higher rates of depression, suicide, and poverty. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But it's the same with like, I mean, autism. I I I saw a post recently that really kind of messed with my head. That um, a lot of the things that a lot of the traits that we associate with autism are things that autistic people do when they're upset. Of course. And so what we're doing is we're creating a society in which autistic people are upset all, exactly. all the time because the society is welcoming to them. And it's very much the same with, you know, trans people, mm-hmm. you know, you, you create a society where they're unwelcome and then they're depressed. And then you're like, oh, you have a mental illness. No, I didn't before y'all did this. Yeah. Um, Remy, it, that's exactly you. I mean, I, that's, ex- I love the way you just worded that. Like I'm, trying to remember it in my head and file it <laughs> because I like the way you worded that. Um, I always say to the parents, you know, your child is not broken because they're autistic. It's the environment that just needs to be adjusted. It's not your child. We just need to change the environment um, and the people in the environment. Um, and it's, it's interesting um, in terms of the, the sort of, what's the word? I can't think of the words. Uh, ah, it's not likeness, the similarities um, in terms of, of the treatment and how it's also an overlap of um, those groups that are, you know, a lot of autistic individuals being part of the LGBT community. But I, I appreciate your um, honesty. I don't think it's harsh. I think it's the reality. I, I am a full, full um, proponent of being very transparent with parents because that is the reality. The reality is if we do not nurture our children and accept them for who they are, then they will not do well um, into adulthood. And the sad part is I watch a lot of parents, moms make that decision um, to leave, to save their child. And then the parents end up isolated and depressed. And then there's a huge domino effect of mom can't help the child and support them because now she's isolated 
um, because it's a cruel world. It's just a cruel world. Stacey, it's almost as if social isolation and societal attempts to force people to conform combine with a capitalist system tends to create whole groups of people who seem to almost permanently be in poverty. Mm-hmm. That, that, that just seems to be what I'm hearing. Obviously, this can't be true, because as you know, how it works is you cut taxes to rich people, and they create and they create jobs, and it all sort of trickles right. down. Right, and then everybody and we've wins. Been do- yeah, we've been doing it since the 80s, and it's worked fine. There's been no problems whatsoever. But to, to not be um, tongue... Sorry. Uh <laughs> Uh, to not be, I thought you were going to say something. To not be tongue in cheek, one of the things that, and I feel bad even saying this because, and even asking this question, because quite honestly, these people probably aren't listening. But to people who are on the fence, like my aunt, for example, who's a very nice lady, but she's 66 years old and doesn't understand like non binary and stuff like that, how would you do? Like, and to the people who are worried about things like the big thing we talk about is hormones and hormone blockers for transgender, in particular M2Fs and F2Ms uh, that are given to prepubescent children. How would you assage people's fears that these are not good and that these doctors who are given these hormones are predatory because that seems to be the prevailing narrative in many parts of the country. So it's a, it's a pause, you know, hormone blockers are a pause button. Um, If, if a kid 10 years old starts taking hormone blockers, what they do, whether they end up deciding that they are trans or changing their mind, because it's okay to change your mind. um, When they, make that decision when they're 18 uh they will either so let's say we're talking about a a male to female transgender individual um she will either decide you know at the age of 18 yes i am trans and she will go off the hormone blockers and start taking female hormones and she will have a female puberty at age 18 or if he decides you know it was something i i felt as a child but i don't feel that way anymore i would like to continue in my journey of being a man um he literally just goes off the blockers and then he just has his normal male puberty just at age 18 i love how easy you were able to switch the pronouns and the same analogy for the same person <laughs> effortlessly i'm jealous of that because i always get a little scared when whenever i talk about it just because i never want to misgender anybody I just want to point it out that was perfect that was so smooth <laughs> i i feel better about that because uh before I got on this call, I dead named myself to my own mechanic. So <laughs> I'm glad that I can do it right on the analogy. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did I share the story? I don't know if I shared the story the last time we met of um, uh, my neighbor. Uh, and I grew up across the street from a family of seven. And of course I would stare out the window. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, they have seven children in their house. Like, how do you put seven children in a house? We had like two. Right? And so, and then their house was exciting, right? My house was structured and organized. It wasn't exciting. Um, it was fun, but it wasn't exciting. Their house always had commotion. And so I remember, um, one of the, the seven children was Vanessa and I remember one day I said, Vanessa, I said, and I was like a 
child, I don't know, 10, 12. And I said, Vanessa, your mom gave you the wrong name. And she was like, what? And I said, Vanessa is the wrong name for you. I didn't really understand what I was saying. Cause I, it was, it was, you know, in my young mm-hmm. pubescent, but I remember the scenario distinctly talking to her in the driveway. Now, Vanessa is now Vincent married to Stephanie. They have twins. I mean, it That's was like crazy. this, like what, like this whole people are people, right? Um, but that story just resonates. And for whatever reason, I remembered it. Um, and I also remember watching Vanessa um, as a teenager uh, have a girlfriend with red hair and a red convertible. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at her girlfriend. She's gorgeous. And my mother would say, get out of the window. <laughs> get out of that window. She, she must have known. Oh, she knew. Well, she, she knew. She my, knew. <laughs> um, my, my given name is kind of boring. And uh, actually my parents also agree with me that they could have done better. Um, but unfortunately, they their suggestion instead is that they're sorry that they didn't name me Darla. I'm I'm actually really glad that they didn't name me Darla, uh, especially because they deliberately meant in honor of the Little Rascals character, which is weird. Um, so I'm, I'm yeah, okay you, you dodged the bullet there, right? Like I'm I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, my parents actually did this thing where I was not allowed to be discharged from the hospital because I didn't have a name on my birth certificate because they couldn't decide. So my name has been a journey since the get-go, apparently. But um, I'm very happy with Rennie. But like one time I got a piece of mail to my parents' house and my dad was like, yo, Remy, there's mail for you. And him, he, my parents do not call me by my chosen name. Mm-hmm. And like my dad saying it, I was, I was like, <laughs> that feels weird. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunts are now trying and like, half the time they're okay and half the time they're not and half the time I'm cool with it and half Mm -hmm. the time I'm like oh this is actually kind of weird um yeah but it's names names are a journey Mm -hmm. um what I will say Stacey uh possibly a, a less extreme example of working with parents and kids of all ages who are trying to figure it out and uh Torin a a less medical answer to your question of how to explain it um one tool that i really really love is the gender unicorn Mm -hmm. so if you just go on google and google the gender unicorn um it's this google it's a it's this purple unicorn. it's not going to be porn right and it's not going to be porn that sounds like porn really cute it's adorable it's a teaching tool um so if you look up the gender unicorn i'm going to do it right now so i can explain this correctly while I'm looking at it. So it's this unicorn that has um, sliding scales on the screen next to it of um, gender identity for female, male, and other, gender expression for feminine, masculine, other, um, um, who you're physically attracted to and who you're emotionally attracted to. And um, first of all, it's a really great way to explain those terms. Mm -hmm. Like, Gender identity is how you feel inside. It's a little thought bubble that the unicorn's thinking about. Gender expression is how you choose to dress your body. It's like a dotted circle around the unicorn. Uh, Physical attraction is who you want to sleep with. That's one of two hearts that the unicorn has. Emotional attraction is the other heart. Um, And what kids or people of any ages can do is um, they 
draw on the sliding scales of like how much on the sliding scale do you feel like you're female are you like all the way female and then you're like none of the way male um where do you feel that you identify mm-hmm. and it's a it's a good tool uh that people can use to sort of explain to someone who maybe doesn't get it mm-hmm. like again if i'm going to rattle off to someone that i'm you know insert my whole big long identity they might not get it but if i fill out the gender unicorn and i hand it to them mm-hmm. they can be like oh okay so So you feel kind of like this inside and this is who you like and this is who you want to have sex with or not. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a a very good visual representation. So as far as, you know, making some of these terms sound not scary, Mm -hmm. there's nothing scary about the cute purple cartoon unicorn. Um, And as far as explaining some of the terms, the sliding scales, I think, can be really helpful of like, you know, talking to parents about how their kid feels um there's also another version of this called the gender bread person um i have to put that in there my friend sam um um is more a fan of the the gender bread person Mm -hmm. so sam would i would be remiss in uh not plugging that icon as well but (laughs) same concept Mm -hmm. here you go sam uh by the way shout out to my friend sam who do you get to eat the gingerbread person no Uh, right uh shout out to my friend sam who is a physician and who is openly non-binary and i'm like still trying to come out at work and i look at them and i'm like all right i can do this um so you know it's it's important that that's the other part of it it's important for younger people stacy you know Mm -hmm. for the kids that you're working with to see people like them mm-hmm. succeeding in life mm-hmm. like you don't see a lot of trans and non-binary doctors mm-hmm. or emergency room nurses mm-hmm. or you know you don't you don't you don't see that and if you're my trans patient and and i walk in the room you're immediately just gonna feel safer because i'm there mm-hmm. you know and yeah. it's just it's just the the existence of other people who are doing these things and succeeding um actually you know to the autism point i don't know have you ever um talked about on your show the lifetime movie about temple grandin that was made with claire danes i don't think we really talked about it because there's so many you know i I have no intention of ever watching it so no we've never talked about it like (laughs) that's a torture Um, like if i watch it it's because i've been captured by a terrorist organization it's an it's um it's an older movie i think that you know the attention span of people is very short right like so right. every now and then it pops in but people you know we everybody's i mean somebody that this i felt so bad the guy in south carolina uh, where the storm was coming said you know i just you know want everybody to remember you know because in a few days you know i don't want you to forget us i'm like they've already forgotten you like they've moved on to the next news story like people like there's right. so much like it's our attention span is like oh oh yeah there was something that happened last week that was traumatic okay but this week i mean it's just there yeah so I don't think so, we needed to talk about it because it's not something that even is uh, talked about, I guess. <laughs> so so I, I think Dr. Grandin is really, really cool. Um, arguments can be made about the merits of the movie, but there's one scene that I really like in it where um, she goes to a conference for uh, parents of autistic kids mm-hmm. and she says that whatever the speaker is saying, she's like, well, no, that's not right. And all the parents are like, do you have an autistic child? And she's like, no, I'm autistic. And all these parents are like, well, what do you mean? You're like a 
fancy doctor with it, all these degrees and you're watching it. and it's such a good scene mm-hmm. um and she's she's like that too i the last thing i did before covid was i had the opportunity to go to a lecture of hers mm-hmm. and it was amazing but um you know she actually said to me um are you you know the parent of an autistic kid and i was like no, I'm a person who's learned a lot about myself in the past couple of years. And she just kind of looks at me and she's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. she gets it. but you know, it's, it's that, it's that seeing of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, that parents hadn't seen mm-hmm. an autistic adult come mm-hmm. speak to them. You know, you don't see a trans or non-binary doctor. Mm-hmm. You don't see, and, and it's, it's that visibility of like, I mean, honestly, it's the same thing with the fact that very obnoxious people are losing their minds over the current casting of Ariel in the new uh, <laughs> Little Mermaid movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay mm-hmm. for people to see people who look like themselves yes. in these high places. And, yes. and, you know, whatever the demographic that we're talking about, it's 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 important. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, but yes, I agree. I totally yeah. agree. And um you know, I will say that I know there's a lot of whatever people have to say about Temple Grandin, and I will call the older person card and say, you know, I met and saw yeah. Temple before we had all this fancy technology stuff. And what I think people don't realize, and when I say people, I'm specifically talking about angry autistic people who are yelling all the time. What they don't realize is that 20 years ago, parents did not know that that could be possibility. And what they don't understand is that Temple Grandin gave parents hope that their child was a human being and that they weren't just this animal to be controlled. And that's the part that people don't realize. I was there when that happened. Most of those those autistic people yelling aren't even 20 years old. I know. So they're not going to remember that. I know, I know, I know. And that's where I I just, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, You you know, you haven't lived long enough to even know really what's going on. But she was, her book was something that shifted a huge perspective in the education and speech therapy and not enough, but at least a little bit of a shift right now. Some of the shifts went in a direction I didn't want, but um, I remember her movie being a, Uh, a really good glimpse for parents to understand the movement, because that's when we weren't talking about sensory a lot. Right. And so just that squeeze machine, I mean, parents were like, Oh, so, so there was a purpose at the time and, and she is older and just like your aunt Torin and, and my mom, my mother is 80 years old, right? There are certain things that my mother is not going to understand because she's, her brain is 80. Like you can only shift so much. I'm 56. There are some things I'm still trying to struggle with my 20 year old kids. And I'm like, okay, wait, mommy, I need a dictionary because I cannot, like, this is what we used to say. Like now I got to say this. And, and so it's a, you have to shift that and it takes a while, which is why we are here <laughs> trying to discuss things to be able to shift the narrative. So, I mean, um, yeah, Stacy, my argument to that is, you know, I, I was talking before about, you know, queer icons of the 80s. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of language that they used in the 80s to self-identify mm-hmm. that people today would get all up in arms about. And I actually see that happening. Like, I've, I've seen people get, like, mad at how someone in the 80s who is now dead 
self-identified and i'm like jesus god you're <laughs> yeah. like, you don't you and you know i i there was an argument recently going around that's like oh well rocky horror is offensive because they use the word transsexual and that's not cool i'm like right but it was the 70s yes. do you get how cool it was that that movie was even made yes yeah. and like, you know that's that's yes. I think dr grandin is a lot like that like mm-hmm. maybe some of the stuff that she said mm-hmm. if she said it today it'd be like dude that's real old school but when she said it yes it was like yes 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 and 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 i think that you know we have to respect that there's a couple mm-hmm. of really great trans theory books that came out in like the 70s that are kind of appalling but in the 70s they were amazing. Mm-hmm. They were well, it's, it's the same thing with Rain Man. Same thing. Everyone hates Rain yep. Man now. But at the time, that was the first movie that even talked about autism yes. in any way that didn't involve like just people who like cried and grunted. But we actually mm-hmm. saw an autistic character doing like kind of cool stuff. So yes, it's incredibly problematic. Exactly. And yes, it's incredibly problematic by today's standards, but it came out in 1988. Yes. yes. So I, 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 I do hate that. My, how people. My takeaway from that movie is that he was loved. Yes. That his mm-hmm. brother loved him and that it was a mistake to separate him from his brother because his brother loved him. Yeah. And would have accepted him and did accept him. Exactly. So, yeah. Are there problematic things in the movie? Sure. But bottom line, what the story is, is that he was worthy of love. Mostly, okay. according, well, according to Twitter, we're all Nazis for defending that stuff. Right. Okay. And one of the things I want to ask is the intersection between autism and uh, gender identity. There was a study, I think, in 2018. I don't know the details of the study. I don't know how hacky it was. I don't know if it was peer reviewed. I just want to put that out there. But there was a study that found a a high correlation between autistic individuals and transgender dysphoria. Now, to me, when I saw that, I was like, well, yeah, of course, of course, there's because autistic people are more likely to identify as trans because we already don't fit into societal norms and right. we tend to see societal norms as stupid. So, of course, they're going to be more likely right. to identify as LGBT, trans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How a lot of people, including a lot of liberals who are supposed to be on the side of marginalized groups, took it is autistic people who are too retarded to understand gender are claiming to be trans, which is watering down the transgender movement. I heard this from a lot of, not conservatives, I heard these from a lot of liberals. Granted, a lot of these people ended up revealing themselves later on to be TERFs, but I heard this from a lot of people who were supposed to be on our side, effectively, basically saying autistic people are too retarded to know their gender. So I assume you disagree with this, but what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... If I say I don't even get the concept of your whole gender thing, does that mean I don't understand gender? No, it just means I don't understand your societal rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, I, and I and I think I think there's a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to. I think everyone understands, even if they don't agree with it, male to female and female to male. And I think when people get freaked out is when people go, nah. And that upsets people. They're like, no, you, you can want to be a man if you want, but like, mm-hmm. you can't just say nah. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can. 
yeah, people can. And, and I mean, like for me, I, I don't say, nah, I, I, I can clearly say that, you know, I am a genderqueer person that tends more on the masculine side, but I respect that there are people who are like, no. And the other thing that I think where people get really lost is there's a bunch of like vague terms out there that people will be like, I'm, I'm star gender because we're all made of the stuff of stars. And well, yeah, they like, always look for that, that one person. What they'll do is they'll find that one person right. on Twitter and freaking act like that's everybody. But yeah. also like, okay, if that person was like hanging out at Woodstock, y'all would be like, yeah, man, they're yeah. star gender. That's exactly. so cool. Who cares? <laughs> it's like, just pretend that they're a weird hippie and it's fine. And you're just mad exactly. at it because it's, contemporary I, I don't know yeah and it's yeah, like I, I i don't yeah I, I don't really get that it's i mean i get it it's it's it, it, it's it's ableism it, it, it's plain and simple it's, it's the idea that autistic people aren't we don't notice how every stereotype think of all the stereotypes about autistic people so uh we're we're we lack empathy and Autism is caused by X, Y, and Z. It's caused by refrigerator moms. It's still around. It's caused by vaccines. That's a popular one. Uh, it's caused by head trauma. It's caused by all sorts of things. But all the stereotypes, we're passive in our own stereotypes. First is think of stereotypes for a lot of people on the LGBT spectrum. Number one being that there's some sort of international lobby, which is really just a ripoff of like it's make stereotypes, but there you go. There's like an international, like someone made a lot of money a few years back and got on the Joe Rogan podcast. Or right, I forget her name. She wrote a book basically saying there was an international trans lobby working through universities to turn people trans. Can I join? <laughs> I was, I heard that. And first of all, I was pissed. Not because she was saying those, not because she was spreading anti-Semitic theories and using uh, conspiracy theories and, and just adding the word trans. It's that I didn't think of it. Because that person has money. She, like, she's on the Joe Rogan podcast. Like, I'm living in an addict right now. Like, oh, they're telling me all I had to do was take Ed theories been around for 100 years, add the word trans, and get a book yeah. deal. And a blue yep. check mark. Because you know yep. you only get a blue check mark on Twitter if you're a turf. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I want to go back to what you were saying about, like... Is, is your disability making you this way or this or that? Um, one thing that I've sort of had to come to terms with is like, maybe it is, who cares? Um, because I, not, not with my gender, but I do think that I am at least in part asexual because I'm autistic. Um, so like, sharing too much about what I am and am not into. Um, I have kissed people. I have kissed people with tongue and I think it's so gross. Um, I'm like, oh God, don't, it, it's, it's revolting to me. It's appalling. I do not want to ever do that again. I also don't like the texture of chicken and I don't eat chicken because I don't like how it feels in my mouth. Mm -hmm. So like, am I asexual and I don't want to kiss you? Or is it a sensory thing yeah. that I don't want a tongue in my mm -hmm. mouth? And yeah. I actually, I don't know. And I have 
had to get to the point where I don't care. It doesn't matter. Regardless, it doesn't matter. Regardless, I don't want the tongue in my mouth. It's like, well, you know, well, you know, there's going to be somebody listening right now that's going to panic and go, "Oh, so you're saying my because of sensory issues, my autistic child may never be get married and have kids and have babies because like, they don't like chicken." <laughs> Because they don't, they don't like, like chicken. They don't like chicken. Exactly. And then they're going to go, you know, they're already starting their martyr mom okay. account on Facebook. Okay. okay. So parents, chicken is not related and connected to kissing. So just let it go and breathe. But I think what you said is so it's, you know, what I'm loving about this conversation, Remy, is that you're saying things in a much more beautiful way than I've been saying them. I'm like, oh my gosh. I think that way too, but I don't say it as nice as or as beautiful as she says, but I love the way you're explaining certain things to help the listeners. Uh, I, I often am puzzled when, when parents want to know the why, right? Like, like they spend a lot of time on the why, like genetic testing, doing the family tree, like doing the why. And I'm like, what does it matter? Like, this is the little person that you have, and this is the person they're going to be. And this is what they are like. And I know it's the doctors taking advantage of parents for their own research studies where they do the genetic testing and because they get a diagnosis and I'm like, well, what is the genetic testing going to do? It's not like you can go in and like retrieve the genes and then they won't be autistic. And I'm not really sure because parents are spending thousands of dollars on this genetic testing stuff without getting services and supports in place. Um, and so and with that, mm -hmm. With that, you got to be so careful about pathologization. Um, so I, do you remember a couple, maybe like 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, there was a thing where scientists said they isolated the gay gene. Mm -hmm. Yes. What the, what the yeah. hell was that? Yes. Um, like, what even? Um, I, one thing that I talk about in my classes is uh, that intersex births are a lot more common than we think. Mm -hmm. uh, being intersex is as common as being left-handed or having green eyes. Um, so, you know, there's a lot more intersex people in this world than we know about because uh, a, the way a baby is sexed at birth is you literally just look at this baby and you go penis, vagina. And if someone is close enough, it's close enough, penis, you're a boy. Um, and unless you have issues later on where a lot of kids... Um, might have an abnormal puberty. Um, they'll be like, oh, well, now we're going to do testing and now we find out your intersex. Or they go to have children mm -hmm. uh, and that doesn't work out well. And then, and then they find, oh, well, you're intersex. Um, but a lot of people just don't know. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe, for example, that if you genetically tested a bunch of non-binary people, you'd probably find that a bunch of them are intersex. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to get genetic tested because I'd like to know but at the same time I don't want scientists to isolate the trans gene or whatever and it's gonna add to this idea of being able to quote-unquote cure it and mm -hmm. I don't want you to cure it um yeah so I you know I think that you it's very true that like people are looking for this why and I'd like to know the whys of things, but at the end of the day, I'd rather not know if the alternative is for people to use it against not mm -hmm. just me, but people like me. Yes, exactly. Well, yes. Um, Mama Baden has to go through autism stage stuff, <laughs> but Remy, if you don't mind, I have a couple more questions I'd like to yeah. ask. 
Yeah, I, I've got a couple more things I want to say, too. That definitely... and, and, and one of the things I'd like to add, see you, Stacey. One of the things I'd like to add to Hi, what, you, what you just uh, said hi. is there's a lot of there's a lot of grift. They, there's a lot of grift around like science and stuff. There shouldn't be, but yeah. there is. And there is. one of the things, one of the things I've seen, one of the things I've seen, like Stacy sent me an article not too long ago, a science from a scientific journal, saying that they found an anti-diarrhea drug that can cure autism. Oh God. I was like, oh shit, it's that simple. I could just go take a modium AD and like I won't be socially awkward anymore. That's I got some kaopeptate in my closet right now in my medicine closet. I'll go chug a bottle of that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of drift that goes on. But one of the things I wanted to ask you is what did you discover first? Your trans identity or your autistic identity? Oh, I don't know if I know the answer to that. Um, it took me a long time to like get there with being trans, especially because I'm not binary trans. Like I'm not like, I'm a man. Um, so for me, I was like, okay, so this is embarrassing for the, for the longest time, I did not understand trans people because I would say, I don't get it. Everybody wants to be the opposite gender sometimes. Why are trans people making such a big deal? (laughs) (laughs) And I said that to enough cisgender people who went, dude, literally never. What are you talking? They they gave you the concern, Tom, look. (laughs) That I finally. Yeah, they're like. I'm sorry, what? Never. (laughs) So. So, you know, like really for a long time, I was like, yeah, everyone wants to be the opposite gender sometimes. Or like, I read this analogy that was like, try to understand what it would be like to be trans. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow and you were just suddenly in the body of the opposite sex. Wouldn't that feel weird and confusing? And I read this and I was like, no, I literally wouldn't care. (laughs) And again, that didn't, (laughs) I was like, Again, I was like, well, what, what, why, why are, why are you making it so dramatic? It's just your gender. It can switch around. And like, again, it's scary that it took me as long as it did to figure that out. That like, no, dude, you're, you're kind of trans. <laughs> um, but eventually I got there. But I mean, even like in high school, I remember saying to my friends, I would make so much more sense as a person if I was a gay man. And my friends were like, ha And I was like, ha and, <laughs> and, and it took me so long to be like, oh, wait, no, like legit. <laughs> um, so, you know, for, for that, you know, that, that has always been a sort of process for me. Um, always kind of wanting this sort of different thing with my gender, not having words for it because I was a kid or, you know, being not sure about, things like you know the examples I just gave you but the autism thing so I kind of talked about this last time we were on this podcast that my parents I love that my parents were so accepting because they never treated me like there was something wrong with me but the same at the same time it's a bit of a disservice because they never addressed it 
It was just mm-hmm. like, oh, you're weird, or oh, you're flappy, or oh, you can't wear zippered pants, or like, oh, I, and I and I appreciate that they gave me the space to just be me. I I'd much rather that than the other way of them like trying to force me to be quote unquote normal or whatever. Um, but at the same time, it never occurred to me that these things about me that were different were something that I'd have to like examine. Um, and what actually happened was I was maybe about 24, 23, and I was reading, um, a a book about a character who was autistic. And I was like, oh, I do that. Oh, I do that. Oh, I do that. Oh, I do that. And then I ended up just like closing out the story and like Googling, like, are these things you know, signs of autism. Like I knew obviously signs of autism. I'm a nurse, but you know, it's, it's a lot of those little things that we don't think about. And I, and I'm reading through these lists and I'm like, well, that would make sense. Well, that would make sense. And, and when I realized it, it was just like, oh, oh, I make sense. You know, with, with the, um, with the gender thing, it's always been a journey of like, but am I, how do I define myself? What label do I put on it? And that's still something that I, you know, it's a constant process. The autism thing was just this moment of being like, oh, that's why. And it was, it was great. It made me feel so much better about these things about me that I never had a place for. And it, it made me feel better about some things that I do like when I have autistic meltdowns, I now know what they are. So I now know like, okay, I'm not going to try to stop this. I'm going to just find a quiet space where I can process myself how I need to. And you know, having that self-knowledge has been huge. So, you know, I think which came first as far as like acceptance in my life, um, my self-diagnosis of autism because I think sometimes gender can be a real journey and again you know learning about realizing that I was autistic was just like oh I get it now that's I think that's really cool and I I can't really identify with the self-diagnosis journey because like I think I mentioned the previous episode I was diagnosed eight years old and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. It's a different experience. You've been diagnosed as a kid because your entire life comes defined by it. So right. I have I my journey's almost been the opposite, where I've been working to define myself separate. And you see this with a lot of people who are diagnosed as children. They tend to try that to they they tend to try to establish themselves as their own person separate of the autism because they've always been defined by their autism and not in positive ways. So that was me in my 20s to my detriment because I tried to just pretend like I was fine. I just needed to sort of man up and ignore the autism. And I just work hard. I could act normal. I could be like a normal person and yada, yada, yada. Just the meltdowns would never happen again if I just sack up and have better emotional control. And then towards my late 20s and now I'm 30 years old. And as I started working with Stacey, I started to find like a happy medium where I was able to sort of embrace the autism, embrace myself and advocate better for myself. And learn how to be a better person, a better friend who's not like constantly being kind of a prick and things like that because I'm sensory dysregulated while still having a sense of self. 
And so I so I so I love talking to people with different sorts of experiences because I can't quite identify with that. Um, but I really do like that. And one of the last things I really want to go over mm-hmm. is oh wow, I forgot my train of thought. I'm just gonna be honest. Um like I said, I don't like editing stuff out. So I guess I could edit this one, probably not. But I actually lost my train of thought. There was a question I want to ask. And I'm probably going to forget it as soon as we go off air. I'll probably remember it. I know those questions, Dan. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here? <laughs> there is. I, I had something else I wanted to talk oh, thanks about. For, thanks so, for saving my uh, ass. Perfect. Yeah, Great. If you, if you remember your question, write it down and we can get to it after. Oh, I probably um, won't. So, okay. Um, so I, I wanted to really circle back to what Stacey was saying about um, access and you know having resources to be able to understand these things and um i think one of the things that's happening now you know you, you talked about this attack that is going on in our society against lgbt people specifically trans people and one of the biggest things that that this attack has been targeted at is information so like with the florida don't say gay legislation the point of that is um not showing kids not teaching kids words like gay and this and that and and not giving them those words and when you don't have those words so i did not have the word for asexuality until i was like 23 and i had boyfriends and I had girlfriends and I tried so hard to want to have sex with them and I didn't want to um and I I I mean I I loved I loved them I cared about them very much and I um just didn't want to have sex with them and I got to a point where I I um like went on tinder and went out on a date with the hottest guy I matched with thinking maybe this guy is so hot i'm gonna like it when he kisses me and i didn't i didn't like it when he kissed me um now he was a real sport and he was fine and you know not a creep at all but like technically that's kind of a super unsafe situation that i put myself in just to yeah, try to... I was, that that was going through my head i was like yeah, was, we lucked out on it that was, one. it was he was an absolute gentleman and and I give him total props on at, Tinder by, too. Like, there's like three, yeah. there's like three guys on Tinder that aren't total creeps. No, he was a really nice guy. Um, but I was just like, I'm I'm not into this. And he was like, okay, that's fine. Um, but holy shit, consent. Yeah, like, it, no, it shouldn't was... be. By the way, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but that should. Why well, I just said shouldn't be surprising. Be I mean, it right, should be that, the norm, but it isn't. <laughs> it really isn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. I tried and I just wasn't into it. And, and then I finally learned actually my aforementioned friend, uh, Dr. Sam, um, told me that they were asexual and I was like, really, what does that mean? And they actually, this is a funny story. So, so Sam told me that they were ace and, um, told me all about it. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I think I'm that way too. Fast forward five years. I told Sam that I was non-binary and Sam goes, oh, oh, I think I'm that way too. That's how, that's, so that, that's how it, that's how it goes sometimes. Okay. But, but you see, that's what knowledge sharing does. Because if, if 
we hadn't had those conversations with each other, we wouldn't have learned that about ourselves. So, um, you know, one of the things that this legislation is trying to do is to limit the access of kids and young adults to have these words. About You're referring them. to the don't say gay bills, right? Don't say gay bills, um, libraries that are taking LGBT content out of their schools, school libraries that are taking LGBT content out of their schools, county libraries that are taking LGBT content out of like their regular county library. Um, these are things that are happening all over the country. Some of it, yeah, some of it is big, big legislation like the don't say gay bill that affects all of Florida. Some of it is a local school board just pulling the biography of Marsha P. Johnson off the shelf. You know, it's, it's different levels of big um but it's all bottom line removing access to a lot of this content um and that is dangerous and it's setting kids up to not be able to find out things about themselves or even stories you know we talked about representation before if you take um so aristotle and dante discover the universe one of my favorite books um it's a really cute you know, classic coming of age, 12 year old boy kind of story, but um, the main character is gay. And, you know, if you take that book out of a school library because there's gay content in it, well, that's one more kid who isn't gonna be able to find a story about a character who's like them. And that representation is so important. So to that end, um, can I can I self-promote briefly? Do you mind? Um, we expect you to self-promote. Oh, good. So um, my best friend and I are in the process of setting up a nonprofit um, called the Virtual Queer Library, um, VQ Library for short. And that is so uh, there's nothing overtly LGBT about our name. Um, and the VQ Library is a whole bunch of queer books that uh, she and I have, just books that we had in general, but we're getting more books. Um, that um, if a person, and they don't have to be in a place where they can't access this book otherwise, but if a person, you know, wants to read one of these books that has these LGBT ideas, uh, we have fiction books, we have nonfiction books, um, you know, you, you fill out a Google form on our uh, website and say, hey, I saw that you had a copy of Peter Darling, I'd really like to read it. And we will mail you our copy of Peter Darling with a prepaid self-addressed return envelope so you can read it and you can enjoy this beautiful trans love story that is absolutely broke me when i read it for the first time this may uh everyone go read peter darling um by austin chant um but when you're done with it you put it back in your prepaid envelope and you mail it back to me and it's a p.o box that uh i will go and collect the book from when when people mail them back to me and then the next person can uh, can go get that book out out of our virtual library themselves, um, and the idea of this is if there's people who don't have another way to access this book, or you know people who can't ask mom and dad to take them to the library and go get a queer book, um, they're going to get this book in the mail in a brown envelope with nothing overtly queer on it. They can read the book and enjoy it, and then send it back to us. Um, so we're super new in this concept right now. Um, but if you want to follow our journey, our Twitter is at VQ library and we will. And all of that will be in the description. All, all okay. the links to stuff will be, I'm telling the audience, it will all be in the description as well. 
So um, if, if you want to, you know, sort of follow our journey with that, we hope to have the, the uh, mailing address live. Uh, actually, my friend and I are spending the weekend together this weekend doing cool Halloween stuff. So we might actually take some time to actually get this baby live, live this weekend. Um, so uh, there, there's a way that you'll be able to take out those books. We're also setting up a coffee account. Um, so if you want to donate to us to help us def defray the cost of shipping all these books, uh, you can do that. I was just um, about to ask and that. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're we're gonna have a we're gonna have a coffee for that. Um, we are eventually gonna get registered as a nonprofit and look for donations. Uh, we're not there yet. This was like a I called her at one o'clock in the morning and was like, "Yo, I just had this idea." So we're 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 in progress. But um, for now, you know, if, if folks want to help us um, pay for some of the shipping and also um, PO boxes are more expensive than I thought they were, so. Um, yeah, we could definitely use some funding help. Um, we'll have a link to our coffee as well. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's what I'm working on. And that's, you know, really just to help people have access to these stories and these ideas. And, um, you know, we're working on getting some nonfiction books, you know, like I talked about that, that trans book from the seventies, I'm hoping to get a copy of that. And, uh, I'm aware that, you know, we, we do not, endorse the contents of any and all the books that we send out we're we're trying to have a uh, varied viewpoints varied uh especially with the non the nonfiction books um we're gonna have some older books we're gonna have some books that have ideas that maybe aren't as mainstream or acceptable these days but it's the journey of our story and it's important no i i, I love that i'm so happy someone is doing something like that because you do see this wave of censorship across the country and this is why talking about this is why podcasts <laughs> like this i was a little worried about i'm gonna be honest i was a little worried about doing this podcast not because i'm not interested in this but i was afraid and part of me is still a little worried that the ideology and the idea that anything that talks about transgender issues or LGBT issues is inherently political and therefore woke has sunken into people's brains so much that talking about it would turn people off because I want people to listen. And I don't want just people who agree with all of our points to listen. I understand some people can't be helped, but I want people to listen to different viewpoints and understand that there's nothing inherently political about talking about an entire group of people. Like, absolutely, pe people would think that like the VQ library is indoctrination. That's what they would call it. Yeah. I disagree because people who want to ban these books, they're when they when they start ban when the movement started banning these books really started pick up steam. It's always been there, but when it really started pick up steam last year during during COVID and last year, there was almost no outrage. And then they started banning books like uh, Beloved from Toni Morrison that talked about the Black experience, and there was not that much outrage. A little bit more, but not much. Then they tried to ban it, I think, in Tennessee, maybe it was. They tried to ban Mouse, which is a book about uh, yep. one person's experience in the Holocaust. And everyone lost their minds because suddenly, because our public school education is so bad, the Mouse part reminded them a little bit of Nazi Germany, and everyone was like, wait, this is bad. It's like, we've been telling you it was bad for years. It shouldn't have to, if you let it right. get to that point, um, it's already too late. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. You know, uh, 
I think when the the Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade happened this summer, people were like, it's starting. And it's like, no, it's not starting. It's been, it's been going for a while now. That it had to have get before we got to this point. It's not starting. It's solidly in the middle. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it is so important to talk talk about these things it is important to talk about these stories um and you know to say that something is indoctrination because it has characters who are gay or trans i mean you know oh my god was i indoctrinated to be straight because every single disney princess got with a man of course not it was just a story about two people like it's not indoctrination people existing is not indoctrination and you know that's something that i've kind of struggled with as a resource because i mean obviously i am a great big walking lgbt resource (laughs) that's why i'm here on your podcast today but like i went and got a haircut a couple months ago and the lady i went to my mom recommended her she's like oh she's really cool she's really friendly um she's okay with uh queer folks because it's really hard to be a quote-unquote girl and walk into a salon and get a boy's haircut because they always try to femme up my hair and I'm like no cut it like you would a man's and it's it's see I don't don't have hair at all so I wouldn't know what that's like I don't have hair I started going bald in high school it is it is really hard to get someone to give me a man's haircut um so my mom's like no 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 she'll do it i promise and she did and i actually love how my hair looked after she cut it um but the entire time she was talking to me about like hey listen my daughter's exploring things about her sexuality and this and that can you give me advice and i was happy to do it you know i'm glad that i was able to help this woman i hope that her daughter got something out of it but at the same time I just wanted a haircut. You know, I, I I am here to fight this fight. I am here as a resource. I am here to help people. But sometimes I just want a haircut. You know, sometimes I just want to exist as a person without my existence being a debate or a discussion or a learning experience. Like, yeah, I am a learning experience. Come learn from me. But also just let let me hang out and get my hair cut and hang out with my friends. Like uh, one of my coworkers one day said to me, Hey, and don't even get me started. But she said to me, Hey, I saw a trans person this weekend. You'd be so proud of me. I wasn't even uncomfortable. What the? Oh yeah. And I said, like, I bit, I shouldn't have, but I did. I said, what was the trans person doing? And she goes, she was online to go in the haunted house I was going to. So I'm like, all right. So, the trans person was enjoying her Halloween. Great. She should be able to go and enjoy her Halloween without anybody saying to their friends afterwards that they saw her and weren't afraid. She's allowed to exist. She's allowed to go to a haunted hayride. She's allowed to have a good Halloween. I'm allowed to go get my hair cut. You know, autistic people are allowed to not act the way neurotypical people want us to act. We are allowed to exist outside of your rules and to just be. And we shouldn't always have to be a teaching moment. Exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned that. One of the last things I'll say is that I remember, I think I may have said this last time. I was one day I was coming home from 
somewhere. I don't remember where. And my neighborhood at the time I was living in is a little bit rough. And there was a trans woman. I, I assume trans woman. I didn't talk to this person. And I'll explain to you why because I didn't really get a chance to. I assume trans woman in, let's say, like early stages of transitioning, if you get what I mean. Uh-huh. And so we were walking from the subway up a hill. And there were some other people around, too. It's like one in the morning. And this person looks at me. I swear, her eyes shot out of her head cartoon style. Like you see in like Bugs Bunny. And she just bolts it up the hill. Now... I'm used to this because I'm a six foot tall, 300 pound black man. So I'm used to white women looking at me and just bolting it. Um, I found it a little bit, I don't know, fascinating that she picked up so quickly that as a white woman, you're supposed to run away from black men. But um, I ended up going into a bodega and I actually got, I ended up got getting ahead of her because she she took a winding way and I went straight to the bodega. And she comes to the bodega, looks at me, and then you could see the apologetic in her eyes, she had a mask on just during COVID. You could tell she felt bad because she'd stereotyped me. Because obviously I wasn't following her if I'd gotten ahead of her. So I just, right. I, I feel, and I, but I feel bad. I'm not mad for her stereotyping me. I'm mad that she had to feel in a way so unsafe that even in a liberal city like New York City, that she had to book it up a hill. And that's always and, something that. And I would argue, I mean, I, I'm sorry that she felt that way and i'm i'm sorry that i'm sorry i'm sorry she felt that way into it but like as much as you feel that your demographic may or may not have played into that response of hers you know she's a trans woman and as i've said as i said earlier on this podcast trans women are the number one um actually specifically black trans women but i, I was gonna add that when you said it earlier but i, yeah, I, I let black, it rock black yeah yeah no, no black black trans women even more so but um trans women are the highest demographic of uh people percentage-wise who get murdered black trans women being much much yeah, higher and the numbers are staggering it's quite it's yeah, quite it's, bad it's frightening but we had a situation a couple years ago in in Philly where there was a a black trans woman who was murdered and she got a lot of you know there was a lot of press about her and there was a lot of like you know say her name stuff which is so important but the same week another trans woman was also found dead in Philly and I don't know if she just like didn't have friends with as many political voices but I didn't hear her name and like you know, there were two in one week in Philly. I have a friend um, actually in Philadelphia who was found dead. And uh, she, you know, we, we have to remember that those stati- those murder statistics are actually low ball numbers. Um, of course. Because a lot of times when people are just found dead, um, it's not always considered a murder. Um, I have a friend who the police say that she committed suicide by jumping in the Schuylkill River. She was afraid of water. She would never do that. Oh, so it's one of those things um, where they commit right. suicide in a completely implausible way. Yeah, we get that a lot right. at Rikers. Right, absolutely. Um, so she just, she wouldn't do that. But if you look at the statistics of trans murders that year, she's not on that list because it wasn't labeled as such. And, you know, it we're, we're, we're 
people are hurting us. And that's the thing that people are like, oh, well, you're fighting for your right to make up your gender. First of all, I'm not even going to go there. But secondly, no, I'm fighting for people's rights to be alive, to be able to live, you know, go to the grocery store without being afraid, walk to the bodega without being afraid, get my hair cut without it being a social excursion. Like it's people need to be allowed to be different and be exactly exactly i'm I, we're going to end it there because that is perfect um remy thank you for coming on again this was of amazing course. this went so much this went even better than i thought i did not know you were such a wealth i knew you knew your stuff <laughs> i didn't know you were such a wealth of lgbt history that was amazing this is definitely this can, probably can I tell you I toned it down? If you want me to come back and do more, I will. Oh, I'm gonna do at some point I'm gonna do an Aspie talk because I'm a big history guy too. So I'm gonna do an Aspie talk where we're just gonna go deep and I'll make it like a bonus episode so parents don't have to subject themselves to that. But we're definitely gonna do that. Okay. This is probably gonna go up in a couple of weeks. I will see you, and that's why we are working to shift the narrative on everything autism. See ya. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. No problem. <laughs>